Welcome back to Where Is My Mom Manual. Right, mom. I'm so glad to just be having some very casual girl talk today. This is not a uh, hosted podcast. No, mm -mm, we're just talking. So with that being said, we are going to talk about just my mom's experience as a mom. And she's a pastor's wife and she juggles a lot of hats and she does a great job. And so she is my role model. And I've, I've talked about her several times on the podcast. Let's just allow my audience to get to know you a little bit. And so why don't you go ahead and tell me when you were born, where, and what memories come to mind when you think about growing up as a young child? Hello, everybody. Well, she just asked for my age. (laughs) I was born January 31st, 1967. (laughs) A long time ago. Yes, I'm about to be 55 years old. I realize that's a stop sign, but um, I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. So I was born in Natchez, Mississippi, and I was born to great parents, Sammy, Germany, and Otis, Kent, Germany. They raised me with uh, four other siblings, two sisters and two brothers, and we had... um, a lot of life experiences in my childhood that actually were turning points for me and drew me to God. Um, My mother actually knew about the Holy Ghost at a very young age, but due to life circumstances and different things that happened, um, she married outside of the church and raised all of us kids for a very long time before coming to the Lord, and that allowed me to experience things that shaped my future. I'm very happy to say that my mother is the reason that I'm in church today. She prayed through. I will never forget the revival in Natchez, Mississippi that happened. I was not a part of that revival. I was pretty much cynical about Pentecostalism, and I did not want to be a part of it, but I watched God work in my mother's life. I saw my mother begin to pray and fast and change things in her lifestyle that let me know she was trying to live a godly life, and it was so much different than the world and the things that I had seen in the world. I knew it was real. So I was blessed in that aspect to know the difference between uh, godly living and just being a a rank sinner. I I experienced that. I saw that with my own eyes. And my mother taught me how to pray. She, like I said, she received the Holy Ghost, got rebaptized, and began to live for God. My sister prayed, had prayed through before her, actually, along with my brother. But I got to see God move and change my brother, the second brother. I saw a radical change in him. And by that time, I knew God was real. I knew what they had was real. I knew I wanted it. I knew I needed it. But pride was standing in the way. So I had to, um, have that worked out of me, and God has a way of doing that. By the time I was fully on my face, 
Um, I didn't care what happened. I knew they had what I wanted. And so I began to pray, and I had dated a young man who was in church at one time. And I said, God, if you'll let him call me and invite me to church, I will go to that church, that Pentecostal church. And I thought I was really taxing God with that because at the time, this young man was in the Marine Corps, and I assumed he was overseas somewhere. Little did I know he was at home in Natchez, and he called me up and asked me if I would like to go to church with him that very week. So that was my sign from God. He came and picked me up in his dress blues that Sunday, and we went to the First United Pentecostal Church of Natchez, Mississippi, where uh, Reverend Charles Triplett was the pastor. And in his dress blues, we were sitting on the back row, and I heard at the end of the service, I heard my mother down front crying and praying and travailing in the Holy Ghost. And I looked at my then boyfriend and I said, take me to my mother. Mm-hmm. Take me to the altar to my mother. And he, it was funny, he was a little bit shy. He said, down front, because we were both really flowers, wallflowers, shy as we could be. And I said, yes. With tears streaming down my face, you've got to take me down front to my mother. And I want the Holy Ghost. So he took me down front, escorted me in his dress blues, and I began seeking for the Holy Ghost. It was the first of many steps, many trips to the altar. And at that point, he had to go back into the service. But it wasn't long before he was home and... He asked me to marry him. That's another story for another day. But I married him, and we have had a wonderful life and two wonderful children. With Now we have some beautiful grandchildren. So um, my husband, who was then my boyfriend, actually took me to the altar so that I could experience the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which changed everything in my entire life. So that is the beginning of your journey towards becoming a pastor's wife. And I often reflect on your prayer life, but everyone sees Sister DeLauder, the pastor's wife. But there was a time I remember where my dad was a backslider and your prayers brought him back. I remember the the nights of you travailing and interceding with friends. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Well, that's a very uh, detailed, complicated story, but a few of the memories that I have um, in the military, we were stationed, we actually went back into the military together, um, married, and I met some wonderful friends, Denise Fiedler, uh, several others, Stephanie McCoviak, and we just began to pray. We had many all-night prayer meetings, and we were believing God. We would pull out a chair, which is an old, um, my mother taught me about it. She would put the chair in the middle of the room, and if we had a need, we would sit in it and pray. We'd get the oil poured over our top of our heads, and we would shout all over the room. But anyway, 
that chair became a fixture of our prayer meetings, and we began to pray for our lost husbands. The journey began in Jacksonville, North Carolina. From there, we moved several times, and I wound up in Mont Bellevue, Texas, being pastored by a Reverend John and Kathy Nelson. And during their pastorship in our life, um, Sister Lee Carruthers became one of the friends in our circle, and she brought a prayer cloth to one of those prayer meetings. It was one that um, was given to her for her husband, and so she actually decided that we were all going to share in that prayer cloth, the ones of us whose husbands were not saved. And so she cut it up into pieces, and we all had a piece of that prayer cloth. And we put it in our husband's boots. We cut up pieces and put it in their pillows. And before it was all said and done, after many services of travailing and praying and many prayer meetings, we saw God begin to move in a marvelous way. And all of our husbands to this day are in church, have the Holy Ghost. Before Lee Carruthers' husband passed away, he was full of the Holy Ghost and actually used in the gifts of the Spirit ministering to people that he would come into contact with. So my husband received the Holy Ghost in the midst of all that, and God called him to preach. One of the... um, I guess, experiences that I had that was one of many, the first one that let me know that he actually was. I had that feeling. I knew he was called, but I just wasn't really sure. I didn't have the confidence to walk in at that time. I had taken my girls, and they were probably six and seven years old around there. We had gone to the library. Y'all might have been a little bit younger. And as we were standing there, there was a man that walked up to me. He was, he kind of looked like maybe he lived under the bridge or something. He just wasn't real, he wasn't dressed real fancy. He just was kind of a common, everyday looking fellow, but different enough that made me pull my girls in close. And he handed me three books and he said, You're going to need these books. You need to give these to your husband. And I looked down and one was, um, on how to write a sermon, um, how to uh, teach on prophecy, and the other title I actually cannot recall, but it it was about preaching. And I said, how did you know? And the man just looked at me and smiled. He said, I just know. And he turned and walked away. And there was such a peace that was on us. I just watched, and and all of a sudden, he was gone. He disappeared in the crowd. I never saw him again. And I came home and gave the books to my husband, and I said, a man at the library walked up to me and said that you're going to need these books. And he began to cry, and he began to say, wow, that's just like the Lord. I've just been praying today about, you know, my calling and what God's asking me to do. That was the first of many miracles, so... If you had a bit of advice that you could give a woman who may be struggling with staying with her backslid husband or feeling like her marriage is never going to reach a place where they can be used in ministry together to a lady who so longs to be in ministry, but her husband is backslid, what advice would you give that that lady? 
I think one of the most important things to do is to find yourself a prayer closet and make up your mind. You've got to decide whether or not you're going to stick it out. You've got to have the grit inside of your soul to go through no matter what. Um, I've watched many ladies, and I've actually gotten so aggravated and frustrated on their behalf that they're going through such hard times that um, I probably gave them my fleshly advice that they didn't have to put up with it. But God knows. God knows what sh- how to shape you. God knows how to get you to a place of prayer and for you to develop a prayer life and to dig into the Word of God. I just hate to see people suffer, but I know that's what changed me. I had to stay on my face. I had to learn how to fast. I had to learn how to pray. I had to learn how to dedicate myself to living according to the Word of God. Not always perfect. No, I did not always do it right. And there's still uh, there's still things in my, my life, actually uh, broken pieces of the chain that are not completely mended that I should have put back together and I could have done things better. But just the fact that you make up your mind and you stay in the race and you learn how to do these things, God is developing you and preparing you for the hard times of ministry and that alone. Never give up hope. There is power in fasting and prayer. That combination alone is transforming. You might not see on the outside what you want to see in your spouse, but it will change you and help you to submit. And when you live a submitted life to the Holy Ghost, to the principles of the Word of God for being a wife, the Bible says that your husband can be won by your chaste and godly conversation. And once you're submitted to that, once you're committed to doing it God's way, God can take it and do something that you never thought possible. I just really, myself, had given up at many points in my life of actually seeing God fulfill the calling that I knew was there. I just, you know, there are many low points But when I would begin to fast and I would begin to pray, I would begin to see things, little little glimmers here and there of hope. And that's what it's all about. It's walking by faith, not by sight, learning how to trust God, learning to trust His Word. You know, as a young person, I never saw you waver. I never saw you struggle with, oh, I think I'm going to give up or oh, I need to change this about my appearance. You never wavered in your walk with God based on your husband's relationship with God. And that was always beautiful. Do you have anything to say about someone who may be struggling with their confidence? Is there something that they can do to build confidence to not look like the world, but to continue in their relationship with God? My heartfelt answer to that is... The first response that comes to my mind when you said that without hesitation is to take a good long look at your children. What do you want them to be? Because your children, they, 
they see more than what you think. They absorb your lifestyle. They absorb within themselves every every decision you make. And I just, I could not bear to think about my children becoming trapped in worldly things and worldly ways and becoming something that was not of God, not something that would hinder them and they could not fulfill their purpose. And once again, I have to put out there the disclaimer. No, I did not do it perfectly. In fact, I made several mistakes along the way that I had, I've seen my children struggle with my decisions, things that I allowed, and I wish with all my heart I had never allowed those things to come into their life. I wish so badly at times my heart has screamed out in pain and hurt for the struggle that they've had because of decisions that I made. Um, I allowed several things to come into their life. We had made a stand against them for so long, and things changed within the church where we were at. And so I said, okay, if that's what they're allowing, then okay. Um, and it, it was a stumbling block. It, it, I even allowed things in my life, and God smote me. God, God corrected me later on down the road. It was like he was saying to me, okay, I'll let you do that, but you're going to get a whipping for it down the road. When I get home, you're going to get a whipping. <laughs> and I did. I suffered for the things that I knew were not godly. They were not the way. It was not what the way I was taught from God's Word and brought up into this glorious truth. And I suffered for it. So I think the best advice I can give is look at your children. Look down the road. Just try to look as far down the road as you can and see what your decisions might possibly allow. What doors are they going to open for your children that are not godly? What is it going to cause them to do down the road? Because you are their guardian. You are the doorkeeper in their lives. You do keep the wolves out by your decisions. And I feel the Holy Ghost on me so strong right now. Mama... You are their protector. You are standing between them and the snarling wolves of this world that want to cut their throats and devour them. You've got to stand between them and the things of this world that will destroy their soul and take them to hell. It's that important. I seen a time, we went through a time where the whole church was backslid. We went from 200 to probably about 20 or less. And the very thing that kept me on that pew trying to live for God was I would look at my babies and I would think, I have got to do this for my children. I've got to be faithful to the house of God for these two babies because it's not their fault. It's not their fault. They did not ask to be brought into this world, but they are in this world, and they are my responsibility to make sure we go to heaven together. It's so powerful. There was something that you struggled with as a very, very young person, and do you, I know that you overcame it, but do you think that your mom could have blocked it? Because I know that she helped you come through it, but do you mind sharing that testimony? Well, it's hard to say if if my mother 
could have done anything about that. It might have been part of my destiny to go through it. But um, I know that being in a home that was without the Holy Ghost, without everyone being filled with the Holy Ghost, I felt darkness all around me. I felt spirits. I was tormented by spirits as a young child. I could, I could just, I could feel them. And probably like many of you today, you probably have experienced the, you know, things too that you could feel darkness. Also, I, I know I'm not alone in that, but that experience as a child, I did go through a, a dark time in my life as a teenager, a depression. It probably lasted about five years. It was right after I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And God is amazing. One of the first scriptures he gave to me that was in a supernatural way was, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And it leaped out of the page to me. And I began seeking God. I, I, I prayed to him constantly to guide me, lead me, help me. And as I began to go through that time of depression, that stability that that scripture gave me, that he would direct my path. I knew he was with me, but I couldn't get the answer that I wanted right away. It was like I was a demanding child throwing a tantrum, and I wanted God to heal me now, and I want him to do it yesterday, and I wanted everything to be what I wanted it to be right now. But God chose to wait for five years, and I struggled and struggled. I became um, an introverted hermit, more or less. I didn't want to go out. I, and all of this was coming from a very active lifestyle. I, was, I had friends. I had horses. I had a basketball career waiting on me. They, not that I was going to go big league, but I was actually invited. They was, my tuition was going to be paid at a private school at one point. Um, but once, once I got in church, none of that meant anything to me. I didn't want all of that. So God changed my direction completely. He knew what was down the road and I began that journey. Long story short, at the five year mark, I decided that somehow I was 18 or 19 at that point that I would make it to the campgrounds in Jackson, Mississippi I just felt an urgency to get there at the camp meeting that year. And that night when I arrived, I was standing in the doorway to the sanctuary, and the minister was calling out for miracles and signs and wonders, and he began naming the miracles. And I felt the presence of God land on me from the top of my head, and it was like hot oil pouring over me. And I experienced a healing. In fact, others walked up to me and said, you've been healed, you've been healed. And I said, yes, I, in myself, I was kind of slow to respond because I was in such a shock. Yes, I, I believe God healed me. That increased my faith. I, there is nothing that I face today. I was even witnessing to a gentleman today about it, that once God works a miracle in your life, you will never be the same. So could my mother have stood in the way of that? Would her being in church have changed that? I really don't think so. I think I needed to go through that because God has placed a call on our life to ministry. 
And when you go into ministry, you've got to know that you know that you know that God can do it. God can heal it. God can fix it. God will hear you and God will answer you. So you've got to go through some things to get to that point. And I think that was just one of my things. I don't think it's something I can blame on somebody for not being where they were supposed to be. God says the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Our steps are ordered. He has a plan and a program. It's kind of like going to college. What you're going through right now, you might want to be in ministry, but if you're hating life and you don't want to go be where you are right now, then you're, you're missing part of your college education. You've got to let God invest time in you and time to God as far as college and books is experience. It's what you're going through right now. It's what you're experiencing right now. Let, let your circumstances and your situations mold you right now. Let them teach you to pray. Let them teach you to fast. I keep repeating myself on that because it is a rock solid foundation that you must get embedded into your soul, whether you're called to a pulpit ministry or you're called to teach Sunday school or you're called to just simply be a stay at home mom and to minister to your children and to your husband. It is where you've got to put, you've got to, you've got to sink your roots into prayer and fasting and the word. That is, that's where it's at. And you've got to embrace right now is your classroom. So powerful. I think that you are the most powerful prayer warrior that I know. And so in closing, I just want to ask you to leave us with your strongest opinion of how to form the prayer life that you have or how to form a better one. Whatever advice you have, I think prayer is so important because you you laid that foundation for me. And I remember waking up hearing you pray out loud. You've never been intimidated by silence. You You have filled a room with prayer. And I want to leave that legacy for my kids. How How can I go about doing that? Well, thank you for wonderful compliments. It warms my heart to that you feel that way. Um, I I feel actually like sometimes I'm not everything that people have taught me to be along the way. And that's the point I want to make is that people have taught me. They've been an example. I've, I've had people that I've chosen to be my mentor, not, I didn't go up and ask them to be my mentor, but I watched them. I listened to them. I, I tried to hang out with <clears throat> people that were praying, that loved to pray. My friends, my circle of friends all loved to pray. That's what we did in the Marine Corps. We got together to have prayer meetings and those were the best of times. We would all bring chips and dip or whatever, and we had fellowship for a little while, but we couldn't wait. We knew it was going to be a prayer meeting. It was just going to be a prayer meeting. And when I run into those old friends today, that's what we love to do. We still love to get down and have a prayer meeting. So surround yourself with people that love to pray. Uh, pick out somebody that you know is a prayer warrior. I think I would... I'm not the only one that has picked out Vesta Mangan as... Uh, a lady of prayer to emulate, but she was one of many that just gripped my life, uh, my my young Holy Ghost filled life. I 
I've loved her all of my life. I've, I've loved every message she's ever preached on prayer. It, it got into my soul. Um, we listened to Lee Stone King on prayer, miracles, and we, we craved those things. That's what we, we cut our teeth on was great men and women of prayer. You've got to find ministry outside of your, of your world and listen to it. Let it get deep into your heart and then go do what they're saying. Don't just listen to it, but do it. Find yourself a place of prayer. I have prayed in my closet before with my sweaty tennis shoes. I mean, you just get in that closet and you turn the lights off and get down on your face and begin to cry out to God. My earliest memories of prayer was when my mother got the Holy Ghost and we were nowhere near being in church. And I would hear her in her bedroom crying out to God and speaking in tongues and travailing in the spirit. Um, actually, before mother, it was with my grandparents, her mother and dad, mom and papa duck. As a young, young child, I can see where the bloodline flows from because... Every night at about 6 o'clock, before it ever got dark, they would make us all get down and pray with them. And they would call out all, everybody's name in prayer, and they would begin to speak in tongues, and I knew nothing about that. I, it was all strange to me. But that's that was the first place. And then when my mother got back in church, her travailing and her prayer really, really impacted my life. So find yourself someone to emulate. If you don't have a parent that's in church, you pick out somebody and make them your your mama and you follow them and you you absorb their prayer life, whatever it may be, and always know that it can be deeper than what you've experienced or what you see in somebody else. God is, there's no bottom, there's no top. You climb as high as you want to in God as you're prepared to. You can dig as deep as you want to in God. It's up to you. You've got to have the want to. Like Brother Alan Oggs preached, if you ever can get a hold of that message, you've got to have the want to. You've got to decide and make up in your mind, I want to be a prayer warrior because I want to change my life. I want to change my children's life. I want to impact my my family. I want to impact my world. And the only way you're going to be able to do anything is when you get a hold of God and let God do it through you. So you've got to desire it. You've got to surround yourself with people that love to pray. You've got to listen to messages on prayer. You've got to see what the Word says about prayer and live the Word, live prayer. Just do it. Just do it. Today's the day you can do it. Benjamin Franklin once said, Don't put off until tomorrow what can be done today. I love today's podcast and I'm so thankful for the powerful message, the life-changing message that my mom can testify to with prayer. Prayer changes everyone and you can do it. Just do it like she said. Just do it five minutes starting right now. Put down this podcast, put down your phone and just say, I'm going to pray right now for five minutes and set your timer and watch how five minutes grows to 10 and then 10 to 12. Prayer will change your life. It can change your attitude. It can change everyone around you. So don't put off until tomorrow what can be done today and let's pray together. I pray that you have a blessed day and that you continue to join me every week as we will be releasing new podcasts.